0: We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we work and live, the people of the Gubbi Gubbi Nation, and recognise their continuing connection to land, water and community. We pay respects to the Elders past, present and emerging.
1: Welcome to the Take a See Podcast. This podcast brings awareness to disability sports and supports. We are talking to experts and athletes with a disability from around the world.
0: boys time for the uh, sponsorship read let's get into it of course we want a website uh, some details about their programs and maybe where people can find them on the socials
1: yeah love it well we'll start off with the website so www.suncoastspinners.com.au is where you can find all of their upcoming information about any events tournaments local programs uh, where to be and what time uh, spot
0: on jimmy great over to you cam definitely instagram facebook youtube We don't know about TikTok. We might have to get them onto TikTok, definitely. Another big social media. Well, we know that they have a link tree which has all of them listed on it, so jump on their link tree and you'll be able to find it from suncoastspinners.com.au.
1: And who are we thanking for the money? Uh, I want to throw a big shout out to Bridie Keane and the rest of the board for supporting us and backing us on this venture.
0: You guys are doing really well at this now. You're getting real pro,
1: to be honest. (laughs) We'll we'll cut this
0: up and it will sound beautiful when we get it to air.
1: Love it. Let's get into it. Welcome back, Cameron. We are back in the studio, and it's episode 18. We got Brad Grove, Skyring, Wheelaroo, number 14. Number 14. A recent alumni induction number provided there. Yeah. Mm. What, what number did you get, Jimmy? 25. I don't know. 25, 26. Well, there was 29, and that was Bailey. So then there was 28, 27. There was a 26. I had to be... I was 24. 24 I was 24. Jeez, 24. Yeah, oh, anyway. Either way, either way. Let's, of us, let's get into it. Brad, thank you for giving up your time. We would like to welcome you to take a seat with us on the Take a Seat Project. Thanks for having us, guys. Well, we've got you on here, and we just had a great weekend out on camp for the Australian Willaroos. So this is our last preparation weekend before we head off for the Rugby League World Cup in London for the 2021 World Cup game. So alongside the men's and the women's, Brad, could you please give us a 30-second elevator pitch of yourself?
2: Yeah, I guess, as you said already, I play wheelchair rugby league, uh, play with Wheeler Roos. Um, I'm also the founder of the Push Your Limits Project, raising um, money for Junior Wheelchair Rugby League and uh, awareness of outdoor recreation. Uh, And I'm a business owner of Base X Engineering, um, doing a range of stuff, including uh, adaptive equipment for people with disabilities. Love
0: it. Jimmy's ears have picked
1: up. Yeah. Well, you said
0: outdoor <laughs> education, and his eyes and eyebrow was like outdoor education. I didn't know that type of thing.
1: Outdoor, echo, outdoor,
0: rec. Uh, sorry,
1: outdoor rec or outdoor ed. Wow, I just
2: outdoor rec, mm. recreation,
1: recreation in the outdoors. Love it, love it, love it, love it. What do you do?
2: Yeah, well, I guess when I started the Push Your Limits last year, uh, the main reason why I started it was because it was during lockdowns here in Sydney. There was obviously doing a lot of stuff regarding uh, people, trying to get people to go out and do exercise for their hour. But for people with disabilities, we rely a lot on indoor facilities. Well, everything was closed. Absolutely. Um, so I was, I was kind of forced to find a path and areas were up push outdoors and kind of, yeah, something switched to my head that there's no promotion of it. So that was one of the reasons why I started. It was, and why I'm doing this 1,000 kilometre push outdoors, and not just indoor, indoors in the court somewhere, so that people can see me, as well as just showing that it can be done. But there are also issues, um, obviously with paths and that sort of thing. But you know, I also want to extend that to things like camping, you know, fishing. All those, you know, for some reason, there's this idea where disability is sport is this one thing, and no one really talks about just hobby recreational side of things i think that's a big part you know we don't we you know we get a lot of people trying to start wheelchair, we're trying to get people into wheelchair rugby league and it's just not something they're interested in um but they can't do anything else because they haven't got the ability to do outdoor recreation so yeah that's the second part of the pushy limits project
0: we've spoken about this product before and omeo they've actually recently started putting attachments to their wheelchairs for fishing rods um, it's the first one that I've seen that actually does it um, and my partner Natalie, she works at uh, uh, well, works within uh, Anaconda and things like that um, doing merchandising for another company called Monaco and most of those companies that are in Anaconda now are actually doing quite a few adaptive changes to clothing and ski boots and all sorts of things to be able to get people into the outdoor hobbies as you say, not, not sports or anything but an actual hobby. Which is really cool.
1: Who was the um, her name's into my tongue. Uh, the the wheelchair racer, Madison Desirio. Yes, 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 yes. R- r- Uh Her comment it. about the expectations that people with a disability have to participate and have to be these Paralympians and have to be yep. at the wo- at, at the world stage and competing at the best. And so, I, you're you're pushing for this this in between that for a recreational space, this recreational, this community involvement, and from what we spoke about on the weekend was the idea of which aligns so well with what Cam and I are doing is creating that awareness and and bringing the wheelchair community or the disability community out into the public and creating that inclusiveness, sort of uh, emerging the two together.
2: Yeah, pretty much. I I think there's so much separation for people with disabilities from the regular community. It seems they're in their box. I I use the biggest example as – yeah, I've been out the front of my yard gardening or you go to the shops and people thought you get the stairs and all that stuff and you, you, know, you don't know how you, people don't know how to talk to you and there's this different approach, I guess, that people, regular people, normal people, however you want to name them, have towards disabilities and because of that, the idea of disabilities doesn't get normalised because there's just not that many people out there. So if, if people with disabilities want to kind of be seen as just regular people, they need to be entwined in that other community, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, yeah, not segregated, you know, I mean, not sort
1: of... That's right, to, and I think that's me.
2: what's good about in, the inclusive sports side of things, obviously, is like merging those two together. But again, same could be said about just general outdoor recreation, you know, if they're setting up fishing platforms for people on you know, at parks and stuff. People go fishing. Someone, will, you know, it's set up for people with wheelchairs, but other people in the community are going to use them, you know, and then they get into conversations and then people just, you know, it's another form of education. So just going to schools and shoving it down people, kids' throats, you know, you need to have that one-on-one interaction.
0: It would also be like you used to own a farm or live on a farm and things as well. So that would have been hobbies um, for yourself growing up, wouldn't it?
2: No, I broke my back on a property.
0: That's what, it, okay, that's yeah, probably so where I've got confused is I knew that you broke your back and there was something to do with a farm involved, so I thought you must have grown up on one, sorry.
2: Yeah, no, you're all right. So I'm from suburbia, out, outskirts, <laughs> um, but being out here, it's borderline, right? Um, I'm southwest Sydney, uh, right on the outskirts in Camden, so you know, it's... There's a rural side of it, obviously, so that's where I get all this outdoor stuff. So friends had properties, and we're not very far away from, you know, state state parks and national or national parks and state forests. So that's what we do on weekends. I guess doing that before my accident and then trying to do it now is obviously very difficult, a lot more difficult. And I've had to learn, you know, when I was in rehab, I pretty much got told you won't be able to do any of those things again. Well, why? And you know, like, we well, you got your disability. You got to worry about pressure sores. You got to worry about incontinence and bathroom and all that other stuff. And it's like, obviously, accessibility. Well, I'm, I'm very independent. I'll, you know, I live by myself, and, and I've got a cleaner that comes once a week and a gardener that comes once a fortnight. That's it. I have got my own driver's license. Everything else I can do by myself. So, I had, if if I wanted to do the outdoor recreation stuff, I would to force myself to do it. And come back to what you were saying before about whoever it was working at Anaconda. A lot of equipment and that stuff is needed for people with disabilities to get out and do that stuff, but it's just not there. It costs too much. So I've had to adapt how I camp to suit. So I swag it. I've got a stretcher. I will put a tarp over the top. That's it. I bought a quad bike so I can get around on the farm without having you know to push around because that's you know, obviously a pain in itself. So I've done things to be able to get out and do recreation. Obviously, cost is a big part of that. It's not cheap, it's expensive, but everyone with disabilities knows that. But if more companies started actually looking at the adaptive side of things, it'd make things a lot more easier for people with disabilities to actually get outside and do outdoor recreation, do more hobbies because, again, it seems like, Unless you play a wheelchair sport, disability sport, you're stuck inside all the time. There's there's no ability to actually go out and see the world.
0: Now, that's a good insight as to where you're going with your your foundation and what you're doing and uh, push your limits because it it really is great. But we're going to put you in the hot seat and we're going to bring in these hard cards. So, if you haven't heard about the hard cards before and for our listeners, the hard cards are a deck of cards which have questions written on the back of them. The questions are things from the internet, from James and myself, and from our listeners, as well as our guests. We've had some uh, come on. What they are are questions that you know are relatively hard to answer, not because they're uh, difficult, but they just make you sit back on your chair and go, okay, well, I wasn't expecting to be asked that. Some of them are a bit taboo, you shouldn't be asked that. But that's what we want to get is a story off the back end of it where you can take it wherever you feel. It may not be the exact question, uh, but something very similar. And we get a story out of it, and then we just dig a little bit deeper. So we pick three cards, and then we're going to go from
1: there. That was an effort to keep the cards there for you, Brad. you see three cards you liked?
2: Or, or... Uh, I think it was an ace of diamonds there, eight of spades.
0: Uh, speed, speed, spades, speed, spades. James club? doesn't know the He's difference between club. spades and clubs. No. Very evident in episode 17 that, that you know, just was recorded the other day. He actually doesn't know the difference.
1: That's not true. I just thought it was a – yeah. And <laughs> one last one for us. King of Hearts? King of Diamonds, King of Spades. Yeah, King that'd King be it. Clubs. I just
2: remember seeing red.
1: King of Diamonds.
0: King of Diamonds, lovely. So same as last episode, we'll read one question, go for an answer out of that. Uh, And then we'll continue on through.
1: Do you avoid asking for help is question number one. Oh, that's a
2: great question, actually. Uh, Yes. It's probably one of my biggest downfalls that I have is that I'm consistently, I struggle asking for help. That was my personality even before my accident. So (laughs) trying to ask for help now with a disability is a lot harder because as I said, I'm very independent. I like being independent and I'd rather just, at least try and do things myself before uh, I really really need to ask for the help. But in saying that, a lot of my friends know that they just have to jump in sometimes because I won't ask the help for, for that help.
0: Has there been a scenario where something's happened and you're like, geez, that really did offend me. Like, why did he do that for me or she for that matter? Why did they do that where they shouldn't have? Um, and you've been offended by someone doing something for you?
1: How dare that water canister get in the way of your trailer Brad? <laughs> I was wondering if you'd bring that up. <laughs>
0: that sounds like a story in itself.
2: Yeah. Um, to be, I'm not easily offended. If people want to help, they help. I, I'll be getting. I consistently get people when I'm getting out of the u with my chair and that coming over and asking if I need help. It, 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 that in in saying that, there's a borderline because you get a lot of people that are staring at the same time. That don't offer, and then you get those that do come and offer when you don't need the help. So you just say to them, "Yeah, thanks, mate. You know, no, I'm all good." Um, and they just, you know, thanks a lot, and they're on the way. Oh, no worries. Once has got other people just stare watching you, and you could be having trouble. Like about time i times with my cushions falling out of the out, out out of the chair onto the ground, and you know, someone could easily just come over and quickly like grab it. Um, so I'm not leaning halfway out of the car, trying, trying to get it. So I think I've had more incident instances where people see you need the help and don't offer, rather than people come and ask for help when I don't need it.
0: On that, let's go to question number two.
2: Yeah, all
1: right. Question number two: What question do you hate being asked?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, you get the standard stuff when you're young and you go in the pubs, and you know you get the young. 18, 19, 20-year-olds that want to feel like they're adults want to have the discussions with the older people and they come up and ask the standard, can I sit the girls? Oh, can I come sit on your lap? Or does it work downstairs? But they're just drunk kids, not knowing what's appropriate or not right. But I've never really had questions I don't like.
0: It's uh, interesting you say that because uh we, we've mentioned him before big shawny tucker um he's a good major of, of us both here james and i um i think you've met him as well uh maybe brad he's a part of wheelchair rugby league and uh whenever we've gone out or been out and seen him out a lot of women do come and sit on his lap in the nightclub um i know that Corey mostran who was also episode number five uh women have sat on his lap out and you've just mentioned it as well is that a common occurrence? And uh, is it offensive or more like okay, that that was cool type of moment for yourself? I
2: think it's 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 a convenience for them, especially when they're wearing high heels in the middle of the club and mm-hmm. the rest of that, you know. <laughs> um, there's obviously, I know, I know, I know for a fact that's what it is in some instances because sometimes I'm 34. This hasn't happened in 10 plus years, so things could have happened a lot since then, but. I've had girls come and sit on my lap and then they're only there for two, three minutes and then they're gone. You're like, okay, what was that about? So yeah, I, I think it's a convenience for them. I don't really think it's a, a relationship thing or them picking up. I just think they just take it like they're taking advantage of an opportunity that's there. Which think- is sad, but
1: Absolutely. It's it's I think you came, you shared this on our t- uh LinkedIn or something or other. There was a video or something or rather about uh, inspirational porn mm. um, and this a couple a group made a video about destroying it or explaining what it was particularly do you think it somewhat has a somewhat of a tie-in with, with inspirational porn like the idea of let me just run you through a quick example as to what was in the video the video sort of depicted a it was a, it was a basketball team all with intellectual disabilities I believe but then it was like it was portraying the able-bodied male participant uh, as the minority and flipping the flipping the script if that makes sense. So there was a full team of uh, people with uh, intellectual disabilities and it was like, "Oh, we're going to give Marty the ball." And it's like, "Oh, shit, are we really going to do this?" Yeah, I've already spoken to the other team's coach and they're on board and they're going we're going to let him take the shot. And then it was like a snapshot to like his parents, you know, like, "Oh, like we're so proud like he's he's always been a non-disabled child and it's so great for him to be involved in this and and blah blah blah." It was really Interesting to watch, actually. And you're sitting there like, and I myself was was sort of uh, sitting back and thinking, is this inspirational porn or is this something like I was questioning what inspirational porn is myself because I've seen that done at basketball and I've seen it done at rugby. And I'm always there, I'm like, don't go light on them. They're like, they're here to play the sport, and the sport is either getting hit or getting the ball taken off their lap. Like, that's going to happen, you know? So, do you think at some point that there is some link between. I don't want to specifically say women, so it's just in my experience is what I've seen with Women frames.
0: seem to be a lot more doing it than men.
1: But it's at not the like same a man time, goes and sits on another man's lap. at the same slap, time it's time you see them going up and having a yarn with them. Yeah, 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 true, true, true. So I feel like it's that same thing, just different ways of showing that. Anyway, um, do you think that, that the idea of those young groups, those young people coming up to you and Sean and Glory and anyone with a – uh, that that they see in a wheelchair that comes up and tries to uh,
0: yeah they, obnoxiously I, I think
1: provide some inspiration. It's
0: uh, it? no, I, I see it as like uh, if Brad was you or I or anybody else in the club, would that woman come up and talk to him if he wasn't in the wheelchair?
1: I think that's it. Is the chair the motive, and is that an issue?
0: And and yeah, how it, would, I, how would you feel, Brad? Yeah,
1: I think it is. Back to what you said about
2: males being involved, I th- and in that conversation is I've had many a time where I've been by myself and yet the guys coming up, and usually in this case, it's a lot older, men will come up and, oh, how you going, mate? Again, drunk, you know, alcohol plays a big part of this. But they'll come up, oh, gay, okay, mate, how you doing? Yeah, good, I'm such and such. Next thing you get in this life spiel about what's wrong with their life, and trying to compare it with yours, so it seems like they're trying to make you feel better about your disability because theirs might sound worse. Mm. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah.
0: Mm, trying to validate themselves through your your situation and your story, so they're trying to make yes. you feel better, but them also feel better. That yeah, it's that which which is, which is the lesser of two evils type of situation.
2: That's right. And you can get stuck in a conversation for hours, unfortunately, because you don't want to be – I've had guys just start, like, using you as a counsellor.
1: <laughs>
2: like, start asking questions and crying and all this stuff. So you end up, to an extent, feeling like – and at the start, I thought it was just people thinking, not that they're drunk, you're drunk, you're having a conversation, that's just the way it goes. But then after a while, you start picking like, hang on, This is happening almost on a weekly basis. What's going on here? And I quickly realized that, yeah, I think that's what it was. I was being used as a a form, yeah, as a convenience for them to let all that crap out because it makes them feel better about themselves.
0: The Take A Seat Podcast is in your ears thanks to the Suncoast Spinners. The Suncoast Spinners are a wheelchair-based sporting club. They run social inclusion programs, including but not limited to basketball and rugby. If you want to get involved with the Suncoast Spinners programs, you can just rock up at Mergen, Morayfield, and CP Downs on Wednesdays, Fridays, and Saturdays, or contact them on Instagram, Facebook, or their website, www.suncoastspinners.com.au. The Suncoast Spinners programs are for people of all ages and abilities. They're looking for players, officials, and volunteers to help with all of their programs. So make sure you check out the Suncoast Spinners on Facebook, Instagram, or on their website again, www.suncoastspinners.com.au. We do have a third question that we haven't asked yet.
1: <laughs> That's a lovely <laughs> segue. Just
0: slide across the room there like that.
1: We might we might touch back on that, but anyway. Question number three, what are you currently involved in? Oh, what aren't I involved in It's probably an easy question.
2: Obviously, the wheelchair rugby league, World Cup's coming up. Uh heavily involved in that, but I've always been involved in wheelchair rugby league in general. The Push Your Limits project, pushing the 1,000 kilometers. I've obviously got my business, that i slowly developing and building. I'm a bit machinist by trade, so you know, that's a lot more mechanical engineering side of things. So trying to get that up and running, uh, I guess from a hobby point of view, I see camping, uh, Do a CrossFit PT, yeah. I guess that answers that question.
1: Yeah. Can um, we, shortly, can we anyway. On the, can we touch on the uh, wheelaroos How Yeah, like
0: 10? so. Someone that wants to get selected for the Wheelarous in the future, what what's the process of getting into that next World Cup? So the next World Cup's three years away. How did you get involved in it? Well, what got you to the point of being a wheeleroo? And both of you are going to be able to have a good conversation because even myself, I, I want to be a part of the coaching staff or even. Maybe if I improve my wheelchair skills, James. You hear that, Brett? Yeah, maybe, maybe. Does Brett listen uh, to these. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, how how does someone get involved in, in that that selection process and how what is the selection process and things?
2: I think from my perspective, it's a bit kind of be a bit different from what it is now, what it will be in the future. Yeah, you know, I I start the sport the day it started in Australia. So in two thousand ten, they did the first come and try in Western Sydney. Can't ignore the fact that there'd already been a test series in two thousand eight. You know, um, there was Australian team that played England and France there. That happened. Uh, but in regards to officially starting the sport, started in two thousand and ten with New South Wales Rural Rugby League. Turned up to a come and try. I'd come. I'd been playing wheelchair basketball. Wanted to see what else was out there. Turned up, played scrimmage. Went, love this. I want to play. So I was pretty much one of the foundation players for the sport. And I was only 22, 23, I can't remember. Yeah, 20. No, that would have been 22. Yeah, 22. So I was 22. So I was still young. Um, so I knew I had heaps of opportunities. So I just got in that way. You know, the first couple of World Cups and Australian teams, were pretty much there was a selection process, but... It wasn't as hardcore as it is now because we just didn't have to participate the level of participation that we do now. So it's pretty much whoever's best on court, realistically, and whoever or or whoever could go over. So we had a lot of people just pull out because it wasn't they didn't think the sport was big enough yet or personal reasons whatever. Compare that to now and the fact we've got two very strong New South Wales. Queensland teams, full of talent. We have to have a selection process, obviously, which is fairly simple. Selection camp, you know, the coaches are watching all this stuff. I I can't speak on how they select the teams, obviously, and what they're looking for, but we've been playing our sport. Everyone's participating, doing all the usual stuff, and then we have our camp, and they select the team off that. So that's it. As time goes on, we get more participation, and we've got National League teams and all the rest of it there'll be other select teams like the NRL does, which is pretty much just based on everyone's performance. But at the moment, it's a proper selection camp and we select everything off that.
1: Yeah. I think also the state of origin plays a major a major part in selection process as well. And that's kind of like the the, the pinnacle, from my, from my opinion, would be the pinnacle of the sport within Australia, yeah. as it is the running game. Like for the sport within Australia, that's the pinnacle game that you want to play. Um, and that's where you can stage your performance and push to be in the Australian squad. That's where you'll you'll show your dominance and show mm. your, your worth.
0: Now, I'm going to throw it out there and neither of us have to answer it. So I feel like I'm on the hot seat. The way, <laughs> the way he just looks at me and he's like... Well, both, both of you are a part of the Wheel squad. So, um, you don't have to answer it. I, I'm just an outsider perspective that has, you know, a little bit of involvement in the sport. What are your thoughts on the fact of... The, the ratio selection between disabled and abled players for the World Cup, do you believe at international level it should be the same ratio that it is or open slather that people without a disability can play at that higher level? What are your thoughts on I'll it? I'll
1: answer this first because I know Brad's got a better answer and we spoke about this on the card actually. I believe that the 3-2 rule they have in place in terms of the playing five, is perfect in terms of able-bodied and those with a disability, the ratio, I think it needs to change. Brad will touch on that a bit more. He's got a great point for that. Um, however, in terms of the squad, it's really interesting, right? Because, for example, player A has a said disability that impacts his, let's uh, Let's let's say that it's uh, a shoulder... Something that's impacting your shoulder, that's a major part of the game. We have to be able to push our chairs in in the game, right? And let's say he takes a knock and he falls on his shoulder and he's out. He's done kaput. Well, was he an able-bodied athlete or was he uh, an athlete with a disability? And then from there, you're going to then draw into yourselves. Now, generally, from my understanding, and typically uh, what I would think is neutral, would to go with six classified athletes and four able-bodied athletes, right? If you're playing a 3-2, you just double that and you have your reserves either way. So if it's an able-bodied athlete that interests himself, now you've only got three able-bodied athletes. So now your substitute rotations are running on, if you're going to keep, and I'm probably going to hurt someone here, but I believe that you're going to keep your your best five on the court for 80 minutes as much as possible, right, your best five. Now keep in mind that best five is going to fluctuate throughout 80 minutes. Mm -hmm. If you've got one person out there that's played for 70 minutes, he's not going to be as good in the last 10 minutes as you use from the first 10, right? So therefore, you're going to have your substitutes, you're going to have your changes. But you're going to always try and keep your, your best five out there. At our current time, in if we look at the team that we have, the athletes that that would be are those with the most function to be able to move the chair, catch the ball, play the game. That doesn't necessarily have an influence on whether or not they're able-bodied or classified and who you're in in the 10. It simply comes down to who's the best player and who's the best five. Kind of went around in a circle and swing off five. No,
0: the listeners may not have followed, but I did. And I can kind of recap that irrespective of of a disability or or not, if it's a spinal cord injury, but they are better, they're faster, they like overall, Brad would smash me in a chair. Like I suck in a chair. Brad would be way, way better in the starting fives than I would be in the starting five. Um, and that's he's got a disability, I don't. He's played the sport a lot longer than I do. Um, he would be better in that team. And it's going to fluctuate throughout the game. So yeah, that, that's exactly how, as you look at the abled version of the game, uh, your halfback generally doesn't go off. Your winger generally doesn't go off. Fullback maybe if he gets injured or something like that. But they do rotate their forwards quite frequently because they do a lot of work and they do fatigue out. So they're, you know, throughout the game, a better person who's been on the bench who's fresh is going to be doing a job better than someone that's been on the field um, throughout the game. Mm-hmm. I do get what, you, what you're saying there.
1: Yeah, one more thing just before I allow, allow Brad some some time on here to, to speak while we've got him here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I believe that the sport at its community base is where it's most inclusive. It loses its inclusive nature, as does any sport, as you go to the elite level. And this is something that we spoke about, Brad. You have that 1% of the population that participate at elite level, less than that. You have something like 20, 25 million uh, Australians, citizens, something like that, population of Australia, 25 million. Mm-hmm. And we have, I don't know how many athletes that went over to Rio or going over to Tokyo, whatever it is, but it's certainly not 1% of 25 million. It's far less. You look at those with a disability within Australia, I think it's something like 4 million. And you have something far less than 1% of 4 million going to Tokyo. So it has to lose its inclusive nature.
2: It, it, it's a tough one because I agree with pretty much what everything Jimmy said. We need to build the sport. We've had this conversation, not this camp, but against before in regards to the fact there are less and less people with physical disabilities obviously around too because obviously we are having got veterans coming back with issues, less car accidents, all the rest, right? better health care and all that. So, you need in, in, to keep these sports running. We need some sort of inclusivity that includes able bodied athletes. When it comes to the elite side of things, we, we don't want to be in a position where people feel like they're left out. And I think the only way to do that is to make it look as if have you have your Australian team, have your state of origin team, but more effort should be placed on the competition and a higher level. Below that, because state of origins only once a year. Internationals,
1: once every four years. So, If you're lucky, you have maybe a tour every two.
2: Yeah, if you're lucky. So there seems to be this idea, unfortunately, where a lot of... And we, we, we've copped it with Wheelchair Rugby League because of the able-bodied rule, where we've lost dis- disabled athletes because they felt like they've lost their spot in the Australian team. And they go, well, that should be my spot because <laughs> it's a wheelchair team, because it's a disabled, disabled sport. It, I don't see it as a disabled sport. We, we we label it that because obviously people got disabilities, it helps with funding and the rest of that. And we've got our we've got our programs associated with the disability side of things, but it's a wheelchair sport. So it shouldn't just be limited to people with disabilities. There are plenty of people that have got permanent injuries as well that aren't classified as having a disability. They can't play any sport. But they're, in some cases, they're also labeled as an able-bodied athlete. There's a big population that you're excluding as well. They can't play the running game. They can't play the disabled game. What have they got? Nothing. So having that, in, that able-bodied rule, if they're labeled as able-bodied, at least lets them participate. I think um, someone like Zach up in Townsville, you know, he's in that, that group. Um, we've also got other guys that what, their backs are shot or they've had hamstring in, hamstring injuries and all that sort of thing. So I think we need less emphasis on the national level side of things and more down below so that people do feel excluded because you're 100% right. There's more inclusion down the bottom because that's where it is because at the top, that's where the money comes from, right? If we're winning competitions... That's where we're getting sponsorships. We, and that's across the board with any sport. You, know, you can't take your second best team just because you've got to tick a couple of boxes. Because, yes, there's the feel good side of things. And I, I feel, as I said, I, I'm, I'm in the position, right, where I could one day someone could just turn around and go, oh, No, it's a wheelchair sport. It's not disciplined sport. We're getting rid of the able bodied rule and we can have five able-bodied athletes playing. Guess where I'll most likely be? On the bench, off the team. Why? Because I haven't got the hip movement. I haven't got, you know, if I fall over, it, it takes me a bit to get up. So you, obviously that rule's there for a reason, and it should stay. But whether it means that they start looking at, uh, and I think there's a discussion at the World Cup about the Paralympics, because they want to bring the sport in the Paralympics for 2032. Yeah. The rules said that that's what they want to do. Or at least try to, but the only way, way that's going to happen is to bring in a classification rule, as well as get rid of the able-bodied athletes. Well, then we're going backwards, right? There's inclusivity gone. But
1: is that but is that maybe an opportunity? Well, see, that's right.
0: This is where this is where. So, you guys, I don't know if you you've heard about my conversation that I had with actually our next guest. Um, interestingly enough, and. She is a very, very influential person here in Australia with Paralympics and, and everything um, to the point of was the CEO until last year of Paralympics Australia. We had this conversation at the Sports Tech World Series Conference only just start of the month and I I said, oh, look, you know, wheelchair rugby league wants to get to that next level, be involved in those type of sports, obviously, with abled athletes, they can't do it. She said. Why not play the Commonwealth Games? Commonwealth Games is abled and disabled together. The Commonwealth Games would be the perfect platform for wheelchair rugby league to get to the international level other than the World Cup and it would be falling in the opposite years as well um, which would give another international start at that level and then move from potentially from that to a fully exclusive of abled athletes to play at the Paralympics. Um, there's plenty of Commonwealth Games that are happening between now and then to figure out if it works or doesn't work, or if you need to add in. And I, I look at it as that wheelchair basketball and wheelchair rugby that they have that point system, which automatically excludes a lot of people from playing.
1: I yeah, uh, love the point system. Mm. I I love it. It's um, it means that went back to Brad's point where someone with a disability feels that their place is is no longer there. So let's let's specify that and let's say a one point or someone with a high spinal break. Right, so they're no longer competing against someone like myself. Like as Brad said, I do have the, the, the hips, the core, the ability to move the chair in a way that someone with a high spinal injury does not. So they're no longer competing against me. They're competing against someone else in their own point classification. Mm-hmm. Likewise for myself. If I so, and this is a conversation I had, I had with with uh, Coach Brett, you know, I was concerned that my that the role that he had initially put me in was restricting my uh, ability to to find a spot on the team because there were other athletes that were doing that role better. I was like, look, I'm, I'm concerned that I'm not going to be able to fulfill this role that, to the potential that you want me to, to then be on the five or on the 10. And he goes, no, no, your issue isn't in the role. Your issue is with number of ABs. They're your competition, not your role. So it's already there. Mm. All it would do is just create further competition. It would drive each individual to be the best individual they are in their point category. I love the point system in basketball. I think it's great.
2: Yeah, well, I know for there has been discussion about classification rules for World rugby. League. Unfortunately, the French, I think, struggle getting any sort of government funding because it's not a disability sport. So they need a classification system. And then we got brought up the last World Cup. Every four years it gets brought up. And I think at one stage too, they're trying to extend it to six players with that sixth, sixth player being someone of a wheelchair rugby slash murder ball. Uh, yeah, quad quad, quad
1: or implements in core and all four limbs or something or other?
2: Yes. That, that's what the, they, they brought up. And to use that player or have that extra player is like a fullback role. The problem that they have, and this is a blowing smoke, was exceptions. So I shouldn't technically play the way I do. I'm a T10-12 paraplegic. I sit very high in my chair for a T10-12 complete paraplegic. right? You see a lot of others in the same level playing basketball. They're sitting low to the ground almost. For some reason, I'll sit higher and I'm comfortable sitting there. So and, and to the fact that I play better than a lot of amputees or even, you know, able bodied athletes, So how how the question was how do they create a classification system for wheelchair rugby league? Because a lot of the other sports are based on the function as well as the sport itself. Like basketball, right? Those the A B S and sorry the amps can sit higher in their chair, closer to the ring. It's a benefit. Whilst in wheelchair rugby league, it's speed. And agility in a lot of cases—that's the benefit. So, how do you bring in a classification system for the sport that everyone's almost equal across the board?
1: Yeah, I would love to see back to Cam's point and, and uh, the topic you brought up—the idea of having a classified, a, a, a classification being brought in, in in specific tournaments. So, therefore, uh Eligibility would be only for those with a with a disability, so Paralympics, uh, Com game maybe Paralympics being obviously obviously Paralympics they, they wouldn't allow everybody to participate. So the Paralympics you would look at uh, a, a completely classified team. Com Games are mixed with a point system of some sort, of some sort of, of an amalgamation of something, and then the World Cup being left as the three two. Yeah,
0: and and, yeah. and I think that would be the best uh, scenario in the whole situation as to. Obviously, you probably couldn't call them the Wheel of Roos for all three. Rugby League World Cup would probably stay the Skyring Wheel of Roos. but then you've got the com Games could be, you know, the Kangaroos. Or obviously, that's sorry, that's the able league team. But um, they we'll could call be, the Paralympics
1: the the Jillaroos. Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, like uh, uh, picking new new names or whatever else. You could, you could quite easily have three separate teams so that the people know that they're going for if they're going for the World Cup you're trying to make the wheeleroos. if you're trying for the Paralympics you're going for the such and such a team and and vice versa. I um, would look
1: at I would look at it and saying you have a you have a squad of twenty and you're picking the ten to play in the Paralympics from that twenty from that same twenty you pick the ten for the Com Games from that same ten you pick the same for the World Cup or yeah you know, whatever it is that, that that squad is that development squad that elite level squad. I would think that that's like the I can't draw with my hands. That's, <laughs> this is a podcast, James. Um, he's trying think, to demonstrate like a with his hands
0: and everything, so that one Brad can see what what he's yeah. trying to explain, and we're listening,
1: James, listening. That. Yeah, I'm thinking I'm thinking that you have a pool of athletes that you would draw on for each specific tournament, and they would each compete and train together in between. Is that not for me? That would be the dream. Like,
2: yeah, well, be. at the end, of it's it's participation, right? Yeah, it's a- anything we can do for this, sp- and not just out. You know, I think we're obviously concentrating a lot more on wheelchair rugby league because that's our sport. But it should be across the board. Like, the more opportunities you give people to play at a higher level, the more people you're going to get participating. Hundred percent.
0: When I played uh, the the able version of the league, um, it's all about the mates and the, your teammates yeah. and your friends and the people that are involved and the community that's built rather than necessarily the sport and yourself playing it. And I was wondering if, that, if you had the same sort of mentality that you play it because of the community that you've been involved with um, rather than the actual sport itself, like the physical playing of it.
2: That's pretty much the best explanation. It, it is that community. I, I've got obviously a great group of friends, great family and all that outside the sport. This gives me that opportunity to get out, meet new people, hang around with people and do something with that I'm passionate about with a bunch of other people. Because all you know, I've got my friends and family, but not all of them play Wheelchair Rugby League, not all of them like fishing, you know, we've all got different opinions on things. But this is my opportunity to play with and hang around with people with the same passion as me.
1: Well, thank you very much, Brad. Thank you, Kylie, for giving your time uh, again to listen to me talk and, uh, and, and with Cameron here as well. It's great to have him here always. <laughs> <laughs> but I uh, no, really appreciate you giving out your time, uh, sharing what you have, answering all the questions so willingly and love, love everything you're doing with the Push, Push Your Limits Project. Um, if anyone's willing to sponsor that, where would they go?
2: Pretty much just search the Push Your Limits Project. We're on Instagram and Facebook, uh, NRL Wheelchair. He's also helping out
1: promoting that. So we'll, we'll find it's a link all, and we'll put that on our, on our socials as well. Yeah, I um, think it's
2: important too. I think it's important too just to note that it is through the Australian Sports Foundation. So the money's going straight to NRL Wheelchair and it's not going through me somehow. Yeah, all that money's going straight to helping Junior Wheelchair Rugby League in court hire and equipment.
1: Love it. Perfect. Love it, love it, love it. Love everything you do advocating for the sport. The integration. Hopefully, someone will listen to what we've said and, and take into account. Perhaps having NRL wheelchair NRL in the uh, Paralympics, Com Games. Um, I'm sure that conversation of the point systems and the ab body involvement will continue to give us nightmares for at least the next four years until the next World Cup. <laughs> but um, no, thank you very much. I greatly appreciate your time. Yeah,
0: thank thank you. And uh, I want to say congratulations on wheelchair uh, number fourteen represent Australia and. At the end of it, I would love to see a uh, trophy return home in in our grasps. No worries. Thanks, guys, for the opportunity. Much appreciated. Thanks for listening to this episode. We appreciate you rating and reviewing the podcast. But most importantly, sharing it with people you think it will impact the most. Before we go, again, a massive thanks to our sponsor, the Sunco Spinners. The Sunco Spinners are a social wheelchair-based sporting club. They operate multiple programs for people of all ages and abilities in basketball, rugby, and more. Follow the Sunco Spinners on Facebook, Instagram, and find out more about them at suncospinners.com.au.